What's the most powerful experience you've ever had in your life? The most powerful thing that you have gone through. And perhaps if it's too difficult to kind of summarize it in just one experience, what's the most recent powerful experience that you've been through? Maybe it was something uh, really great. Maybe you experienced a miraculous healing. Maybe you've just gotten back from a missions trip and God showed up in a powerful way uh, on your trip. Maybe God has provided a spouse for you. Maybe like in Andy's case, uh, he's been, uh, God's been walking with you through the birth of a child or something like that. Maybe God's given you a new job. Or maybe it's been a very difficult experience. Maybe it's been the death of a loved one. Maybe it's been a long season of unemployment. Maybe it was a hard year at school this year. Maybe it was a sports injury uh, that you've suffered. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Has there been a recent experience that you've been through that comes to mind as I say, think about one? Experiences are powerful. The things that we go through have the power to mold and shape how we view life. The things that we go through, that experience that you're thinking of right now, whether good or bad, has great power to shape how you think about God, how you think about yourself, how you think about the world around us. Experiences are extremely powerful that way. But the question is, how much credence should we give to our experiences in allowing them to shape our worldview? How much credit should we give to the things that we have gone through in shaping what we think about God and this world and ourselves? Last week we looked at the Apostle Peter and the experience he had literally on a mountaintop. He was on a mountaintop with Jesus and right before his eyes Jesus was transfigured meaning his divine glory shone through. And Peter saw with his own eyes this stuff about Jesus doing miracles and who is this guy. All of a sudden, he sees him in his glory and he's given a preview of Christ's second coming, his coming in power. Well, clearly this has to be the most or at least one of the most powerful experiences of Peter's life. I mean, I read the story of the experience and I'm jealous. I say, well, why couldn't that be? I would have loved to have been there. And if I had been there, that would have been the top of the list of experiences that I had had to be able to see Jesus in his glory. But interestingly enough, as Peter reflects on that experience, a great, powerful, wonderful experience, as he comes to reflect on that experience, He has some words to share with us about the value of experiences and to what extent we ought to allow our experiences to shape our worldview. And this morning we want to look at what he has to share with us. So please take a Bible and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, page 984 in the church Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, the context, 
is that Peter has just finished describing this incredible spiritual experience. Literally, a mountaintop experience with God. We pick up what he has to say about it. Well, let's catch verse 18 because that's the last thing he sort of says about his, the transfiguration experience he went through. Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter's like, look, I'm up there on that mountain and I literally heard God's audible voice. I heard the Father's audible voice tell me that Jesus is the Son of God and then I saw with my own eyes his glory. Peter's like, I was there, I saw it, I'm an eyewitness. It was the greatest possible experience that you can imagine. But then notice what he says in verses 19 through 21. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now I want to show you verse 19, not in the NIV, which is the translation that we're using here, but in the New Living Translation. And so I have uh, the first part of verse 19 from that translation, the NLT, and the way they've translated it is, because of that experience, the transfiguration, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. And what the NLT makes clear is something that's a little more hidden in the NIV translation. And that is that Peter is comparing his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Bible, that he is comparing what he went through on the Mount of Transfiguration with what he has written in the Scriptures. And his point is, the sum of where he finds his assurance that Christ is returning is in God's Holy Word. That it's in the Scriptures. This is why Peter says, you do well to pay attention to it. Notice, Peter's got two things here. He's got his own mountaintop experience where he saw with his own eyes Jesus in his divine glory and heard with his own ears God the Father's audible voice commending Jesus. He's got that. And then he has the Old Testament scriptures which declare that Jesus will come in power. And Peter says of these two things, draw your attention to the prophetic word. This is where he has placed his emphasis. Now, Peter is not discounting the experience he went through. In fact, he's told us about it. In fact, he considers this to be a fantastic experience. I can't imagine that Peter would have traded that experience for anything in the world. He tells us about it. But it's so interesting to me that after Peter goes through this incredible mountaintop experience, he says, but that experience's value comes from the fact that it confirms what I have already 
in God's word. That the value of that experience is the way it confirms the truthfulness of the Bible, of the scriptures. That Peter is saying, how do I know that Jesus is going to return? I know it because God said it in his word. And it's been confirmed by my experience. I know it because God said it in his word. And the value of what I went through on the Mount of Transfiguration is that it confirms what God has written. See, the problem with our experiences, whether good or bad, is that they are subject to our interpretation. If, for example, you've been miraculously healed by God, praise the Lord for that. The problem is, you can potentially misinterpret that event. You might think, well, God always heals people. You might deduce from that experience that no one should ever be sick and that the only people who are sick are those who are not walking in faith with God. You might deduce from that experience that you were healed because God likes you better than he likes other people. You may conclude from that experience that you did something to earn that healing. The problem with our experiences is they're always subject to our interpretation of them. But notice what Peter says in verses 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's saying the reason why, if I have to draw your attention to something, the place I want to draw your attention to is the scriptures and not to my own experience is because the scriptures, no prophecy in scripture, meaning no part of this book, no part of God's word came about by a prophet sitting down and saying, hey, I think this is probably true. I'm going to write this down. Or, wow, look at these world events. Here's what I think they mean. Peter is saying there is not one part of the Bible that came about in that way. He says, instead... Humans wrote this as they were carried along by God's Spirit. Joel mentioned earlier as he was uh, teaching our children that this is God's Word and it is the product both of humans and of God. How does that work that you can have something that humans have written but is actually the Word of God and does not contain human interpretation of events well because of the family service i have a little illustration here that i hope makes clear what we're talking about i have here a sailboat nice little sailboat in a little bath of water i have here a fan and this fan represents of course the wind when the wind is on the sailboat sails okay when the wind is off I have to wait for the fan to stop. No sailing happens. Now, if the wind is on, but there's no sail, the boat doesn't move either. 
When you have a sail and the wind, the boat sails. What this illustration is meant to represent is the fan, the wind, represents the Holy Spirit. The sail represents humans. And what Peter is saying, the word carried along, the reason why I've chosen this illustration, is in verse number 21, the word carried along is the word that's used for sailing. That as the wind fills the sails, it moves them in the direction that it's blowing. And the point is, is that the sails represent the human author of Scripture, and the fan or the wind represents the Holy Spirit. And Peter is saying, is the Bible sails forward because, yes, humans are involved in writing it, but ultimately the power and the inspiration and the movement comes from God. It's very clear you can't have the scriptures without human authors, just like you can't have a boat without a sail go forward. You can't have the scriptures without a divine author, just like you have a sailboat with no wind not going to move. Peter is saying both of these work together, and we've gotten this, God's word, through both human authors and divine author. But at the end of the day, the source and force that comes in the scriptures come from God. This is why Jesus, when speaking about the Old Testament, says things like this in Matthew chapter 22. How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? Jesus is talking about a prophecy from Psalm 110, but notice the way he references it. How is it then David, who is the human author that wrote Psalm 110, speaking by the Spirit, meaning the Spirit is the force or the power that brought Psalm 110 into being. Jesus is not denying that David was involved in the process. He's just located the source in the Holy Spirit. Same thing in Matthew 24. Jesus talks about the word spoken of through the prophet Daniel. He doesn't say, hey, Daniel was right when he thought this. Jesus says there was a word spoken of. Daniel was the vessel, but the ultimate source was God. And Peter says the reason why I'm drawing your attention not to your own experiences as the ultimate source of authority, but to the scriptures is because there's not one single word in this book that has come into being because a person sat down and thought it was a good idea to write it. Everything in the scriptures came about because God was the source, the inspiration, the wind behind it. And he used human authors to bring this into being. But this is truth because it comes from God. And Peter says, I had this great experience, this fantastic experience, this amazing experience. But do you know what the ultimate value of the transfiguration was for Peter? It confirmed what he read in God's word. That's the value of the experience. This week I was 
reading Isaiah 54. And I read a phrase that I'm sure has been there forever because it's still there, but I'd never noticed it. You ever have that happen? You pick up the Bible and you read it and you think, has this always been here? Did someone slip this in when I wasn't looking? And in there it says, God says, I am a husband to the widow. And I read that verse and I immediately called my mom. And I said, mom, I got a verse I want to share with you. And so I shared that verse with her. And I did that because she had just recently told me a story about she went off to do something. I can't remember the exact details, but she went off to do something that normally my dad would have taken care of either with her or for her. And she was feeling lost and alone having to try to do this as a widow herself. And she told me the story that when she got to what she was doing, that God showed up and God helped her with it in the way that my dad would have helped her. And I remember her saying to me, it was like God was my husband at that moment. And so when I read this verse, the reason why I shared it with her is because the value of the experience that she had with God is it confirms the truthfulness of Isaiah 54. That was the reason God gave it to her. But the value of Isaiah 54 is, is that on weeks where she's not feeling like God is being her husband, it still proclaims that God is her husband. And the foundational truth is what God has written in his word. And Peter's point is, look, thank God for amazing experiences, but keep them in their proper perspective. The value of experiences are they bring confirmation to what God has written in his word. But the source of truth Not in our experiences, but in what God has said. That's the proper use of experience. Let me give you an example of the improper use of our experiences. Turn over to chapter 3 of 2 Peter. Look over at chapter 3. Peter says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What was happening in the churches that Peter was writing Second Peter to, false teachers had infiltrated the churches and began to teach false things. And the argument for what they were teaching was, hey, look around. Look what's going on. There's no judgment. There's no punishment. You can do whatever you... What is this second coming bit? We don't see any... We've not experienced anything like that. We don't know anything about this. And they have deduced from their experience that there is no judgment. They have deduced from what they have observed. They're like, hey, I've lived my entire life. I've never seen Jesus come a second time. I don't know anything about this. I've not experienced judgment from God. 
And because of that, they have deduced, you're free to do whatever you want. And they have made the opinion that eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. What difference does it make? Peter's saying that's the wrong use of experience. They have deliberately forgotten what God said in his word. God has said in his word, judgment is coming. Christ will return and he will repay all of us for what we have done. Peter's saying they're choosing to forget that and instead embracing their own experience. Their experience is life just kind of keeps going on. Do whatever you feel like doing. There's no discipline, there's no punishment, there's no judgment. Peter says they have embraced their experience instead of God's word. The same can be true for us. Maybe you've had bad experiences going to church. Maybe you grew up in churches that split or had difficult uh, times that happened. Maybe you've come to church and you're like, I just can't get connected. I don't have any friends here. I don't really like coming. Maybe you sit through the sermons or the services and you just think, I don't have any idea what's going on. This is just not helpful for me. It's possible to deduce the wrong thing from that experience. And that is that who needs church? It's possible to deduce from that experience, hey, I seem to be doing just fine. Or I have a friend who doesn't ever go to church and he seems to be doing just fine. It's possible to come away from that and think, why do we need to gather together? But God's word has said, I am present where two or three people gather together. And when you gather together, I'm with you and you need to continue to experience me in this way. And the point is, is that when we show up some Sundays, it doesn't feel like he's here. Sometimes it may feel like all we've simply done is gone through a ritual or a routine. But if we conclude from our experiences that church is optional, we have embraced what the scriptures say is wrong. God has said in his word, continue to meet together every week. Continue to gather. And I promise you, God says in his word, I'll be there. And even on Sundays where you may not have felt him here, he's here. He's here because his word promises that he's here. Maybe you had the experience of being abused when you were younger. That's a very, very painful experience, a very real experience. But it's possible to deduce the wrong things from that experience. It's possible to begin to feel or think that you are unlovable. But God has said in his word that you are dearly loved, that you are desperately loved, that before you did one thing good or bad and before anything was done to you, God demonstrated his love for you by sending his son to die for you. What your experience tells you about how lovable you are is simply not true. God's word says you are loved. Maybe you woke up one morning this week not feeling like a Christian. Thinking to yourself, if I was really a Christian, would I really be having all of these doubts? Would life be so difficult? Would I feel so much discouragement in my heart? If that happened to you this week, you've gone through something that every single Christian goes through at some point. But if you deduce from that experience that because you don't feel like a Christian, you must not be a Christian... God has said in his word that if you have accepted my son as Lord, you are my child. And that even when our hearts condemn us, 
God is greater than our hearts, even when our hearts say to us, nobody who's a Christian would think this way. Nobody who's a Christian would act like this. Nobody who's a Christian would feel like this. God says, don't listen to your experience. Listen to what my word says. You have accepted my son as your savior. You are my child. God is greater than our hearts. And Peter's point is, is, look, experiences are incredibly powerful. They're incredibly wonderful. They are gifts from God, but only when kept in the proper perspective. And the proper perspective is experiences are designed to confirm the truth of God's word. They are not the source of truth. They are designed by God to confirm them. If Peter standing on a mountain, listening to God's audible voice, seeing God with his own eyes, doesn't put his faith in that experience, what right do we have to shape our worldview on the experiences we've been through? Peter says, appreciate them for what they're worth. It's not like Peter came down from the mountain and said, I don't need the Bible anymore. You should have seen what I saw. He comes down from the mountain and the place he runs to are the scriptures. What did I just see? What does this mean? How do I make sense of this? And that's the encouragement for you and I too. Whatever experience you've just gone through recently, maybe your grandfather got sick. Maybe God's provided a spouse for you. Maybe like in Andy's case, you just had a baby. Maybe you got cut from your soccer team. Whatever experience you're in or have recently been through, it's an invitation from God to do the same thing that Peter did, which is to open his word and to hear God's commentary on what it is that you are going through or have been through. You ever get the end of watching like a, uh, like a World Cup game and you think that you're like, okay, did I see that right? What I want to do is I want to get online. I want to read what commentators had to say about that. God is saying, look, I have already commented on what's happened in your life and that the value of those experiences is that they should drive you back to my word. So that I can declare to you what is the true interpretation. Because if you were provided a spouse by God and you're thinking, man, God is kind and gracious. God says, I want to drive you back to my word so that you will know that I'm kind and gracious. So that when you have that first fight with that spouse, you will remember I'm still kind and gracious. And that for Henry William, that God wants you to know that that child has been fearfully and wonderfully made. Because if at age two, something goes wrong. If when he's 15, he's in a car, whatever it is, God does not want the truth of what you think about that child to be based on how you feel, but on what God has declared to be true. And so whatever experience you're going through right now, whatever experience you've been through, open up God's word. Look, start in the book of Matthew. It's a great, wherever, start. Start reading and read the commentary. Your interpretation, my interpretation is going to be flawed. Somewhere it will be flawed. Peter has said, there is not anything in this book that came about by human interpretation of events. 
everything that God has written was empowered, inspired, and sourced in God. And this is where our confidence lies. We thank God for experiences. Thank God when we get to see him. Thank God when we have those transfiguration experiences. Thank God when he shows up in the middle of our discouragement with just little things here and they say, look, I'm here. I'm. We thank God for that because it confirms the truthfulness of God's word. We're not asked to believe with no evidence. You're not asked to simply open up God's word and say, hey, look, believe it whether you think it's true or not. God gives us experiences that confirm them. Peter says, I thank God for the transfiguration because it makes me more sure that Christ is coming again. The value of our experiences is that they confirm the word of God. The danger of our experiences is that they replace the word of God. And Peter's encouragement to us from God is keep them in their proper perspective. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we are not simply wandering blind, that along the way in our journey of faith, you do things and allow us to see that your word is true. Lord, that we can affirm that you are a gracious God, not just because your word says it, but because we've seen it. Lord, we can affirm that all things work together for good. We can know that because we've seen it. But God, I pray for any who are here right now who have been through uh, whatever experience, traumatic, terrible, wonderful, whatever, in which that experience is beginning to crowd out your word. I pray, Lord, that through your spirit, you would invite them today back to your word. Lord God, that you would turn them to the passage they need to read. Lord God, that you would help them to open up your word and to hear what you have to say about it. God, I thank you that our faith is not built on our experiences. It's built on the rock-solid foundation of your word. Lord, help us to realize that and to be blessed. And for those here today who don't feel your presence in church, who don't feel your love, who are not experiencing your grace, I pray that in your word they would hear your declaration that they are loved, that you are gracious, and that you are always with us. And they might know that it's true because you have said it in your word. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.